The text for the sermon this morning is taken from John chapter 7, the verses 37 to 39. John 7, starting at verse 37, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And after the proclamation of God's word, we will begin to respond with the singing of hymn 73, the stanzas 1, 2, and 4. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus Christ teaches us to pray for our daily bread. Now we know that he's not only teaching us to ask for bread, but he's teaching us to pray that God would provide us with all the basic needs that we have for our body. Bread is simply used to make the point. Bread is a relatively normal, it's a basic item of food. But the one thing that people need more than bread is water. In fact, there's no possible way to overstate the importance of water. Water is the very thing that sustains life. Without water, people cannot last for more than a few days. Without water, this whole earth would very soon turn to a barren wasteland. In fact, we read that part of creation in the beginning was how God provided water for the Garden of Eden. The Bible especially highlights that for us. In Genesis 2, verse 6, we read of a, great, of a mist going up from the land that was watering the whole face of the ground. In that same chapter, Genesis 2, verse 10, speaks of a river that flowed out from Eden to water the garden. So there's no denying the necessity of this actual physical water for the sustaining of life. But what's true physically is also true spiritually. Physically, yes, people need water to live. But spiritually, they also need a kind of water to live. We sang of Psalm 1 after the reading of the law where the man who delighted in the law of the Lord is compared to a tree planted by streams of water, a tree that flourishes, producing its fruit in season. Now from that it becomes clear that when we speak about things in the spiritual sense, we're not talking about physical water that we would drink. Rather, the water that we are speaking about spiritually is best described by the Lord Jesus in John chapter 4, verse 13 and 14. There he says about water from a well that everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. 
just like physical water is necessary for the sustaining of life on earth, so spiritual water or living water is very necessary for the sustaining of spiritual life. And that is the water of which our Lord Jesus Christ speaks of in the words of our text. About that I may preach to you the word of God under the following theme. Jesus proclaims the living waters of the Spirit. And we'll see first the invitation to the living waters, secondly the condition for the living waters, and finally the explanation of the living waters. Our text begins by telling us that this proclamation of the Lord Jesus took place on the last day of the feast, the great day. And with those few words, it sets the whole scene for us here. We know from reading the earlier verses of this chapter that the feast being referred to is the Feast of Booths. It's also known as the Feast of Tabernacles. And it is important to take note of the fact that this proclamation does come during this specific feast. The reason that God had instituted this particular feast for his people in the Old Testament was so that they would remember their journey from Egypt to the promised land through the wilderness. And during the time of this feast, the people would live in booths or shelters. It was something very different from their normal daily habitations. By living in such conditions, they would be reminded not only of the fact that they had actually made that journey from Egypt to Canaan, but even more importantly, they would be reminded that during that entire journey, God had been the one who provided for them everything they had needed. This feast was a time of rejoicing, a time of great celebration for the people. They had once again seen the evidence of the fact that God continued to bless them. It came at the end of the uh, produce of the threshing floor and the wine press had been gathered in. They could taste the fact that God was faithful to his covenant promises yet again for another year. But over time, this Feast of Booths had actually taken on some extra meaning. There were things added to the feast that we don't find prescribed in the regulations delivered by God to Moses. We know from a number of sources that this feast, while it's still focused on the overall blessings of God, it had become focused even more specifically on the provision of water. Each year during the celebration of the Feast of Booths, for the first seven days, water would be taken in a golden pitcher from a pool in Jerusalem, and it would be taken in a procession to the temple. There it would be slowly poured out before the altar of the Lord in the temple. And as the water was being taken and poured out, the people would be singing with joy the entire time. Now that focus on water, it also has connections to the journey through the wilderness. If you think back to that journey, then we know that twice throughout that journey, God miraculously provided water for his people from a rock. You read about those in Exodus 17 and Numbers 20. So the ceremony of bringing water from the pool to the temple for seven days, it was a powerful reminder of God's continued care and blessing in providing his people with water, not only in the past, but also in the present. 
In the land of Israel, it could easily happen that there would be a shortage of water. And of course, the people needed water for their own personal lives. They needed water for their crops to grow. But through this ceremony that had become part of the feast, the people were reminded every year again that even in times when water would be scarce, it would be God who provided for them. So it's striking that during this particular feast, the Lord Jesus stands up and he cries out his invitation to all who are thirsty. The very fact that he stands up and he cries out, as we read in verse 37, that is significant. Normally, Jesus would sit down and he would teach, but now he stands and he cries out. It's something that needs to be declared publicly so that everyone who's there can hear what he is saying to them. Because with his invitation to drink, he is teaching all those people that there is a thirst that they have which needs to be quenched. It's not just a physical thirst that God's going to provide, through, provide for through rain or through some other means. No, in his invitation, the Lord Jesus makes it clear that in order to quench this particular thirst, the only way it can be done is if someone comes to him. And he's not saying that he's going to provide them with physical water. He's saying he's going to give them living water, which we read in verse 38. So what exactly is this thirst that he's speaking about? It's the thirst that we sang of with the words of Psalm 42 earlier in this service. It's the thirst that our soul has for the living God. Psalm 42, verse 2 in Scripture. And the fact that our soul thirsts for God, it shows us two things. It shows us first that only God can quench this thirst. But secondly, it also reveals that there is this distance between the one who thirsts and the God who can satisfy. That makes it clear then what our Savior is talking about. He isn't speaking of another possible solution to their physical need for water. No, he's speaking about the need for God that all people now have because they've been separated from God because of their sin. Sin leaves one parched. Sin leaves a person in a state of death. And so it's actually very vivid language that our Savior uses here. While water is easily accessible to us, we still have that sense of what it is to be thirsty, to crave that cool glass of water after being outside in the hot sun. And we know that when one is physically thirsty, then, then they need water very quickly, or their health and their energy is continuing to decline. Well, so it is with God, our need for God, and the salvation He provides. Only that need is even worse than a physical need. Because without the living water, it's not the case that things start off bad and then slowly get progressively worse. No, without this living water... There is immediately death, eternal death. And without God, there is no satisfaction or quenching of that thirst either. 
Christ is saying here in our text, that in order to slake that thirst which is caused by sin, the only possible solution is to come to him. And what is surprising about this invitation, congregation, is not only the whole overall setting in which Jesus extends this invitation, but it's also the crowd to whom he gives this invitation. He doesn't specify that this is an invitation that's only for a certain group of people. There's no VIP list that he's focusing on here. No, it is an invitation for everyone who's listening, for everyone who can hear him. Look at the words of our text. In verse 37, he says, anyone. Verse 38, whoever. It's a general invitation to anyone who has recognized the thirst that they have. We have to note that Christ is also speaking to people who did not believe. People who wanted him arrested. People who wanted him taken out of the picture entirely. His own brothers were there. They wanted him to go to the feast, as we read in John 7, verse 3. But the Bible also made it clear that these brothers didn't actually believe in Jesus. And yet that invitation was there for them as well. According to verse 12 of our scripture reading, there were some who murmured about him. They thought he was leading the people astray. But Jesus never says, no, you ignore what I'm saying. This isn't for you. No, that invitation to the living waters is given to them as well. All those people who would have been there for the entire length of the feast, they all heard the invitation extended by Christ to come to the living waters. From that perspective then, this invitation extended by the Lord Jesus It's an invitation invitation motivated by one thing. It's motivated by grace. It's given to anyone who recognizes that they have a thirst, to anyone who recognizes that they have a need for God. They They know their need for the forgiveness of sins. And so Jesus says, come to me for the living water that you so desperately need. It's like the words of Isaiah 55 that we read earlier. There in verse 1, we read, Come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Jesus Christ extends that invitation to drink freely of his grace, to freely receive the forgiveness of sins, to have that thirst for God satisfied in the fullest and richest way possible, the only way possible. And there's no cost that has to be paid either. Those living waters, they are free to everyone. And the truth is, there is nothing else that can fill that thirst that Christ is speaking about here in our text. If you think about the woman at the well in John chapter 4, we refer to that passage in the introduction to the sermon. She was trying to slake her thirst. And we aren't talking just about her physical thirst here. We're also talking about her spiritual thirst, as Christ would expose there. But she wasn't trying to quench her thirst with living water. She was trying with earthly solutions, 
with worldly satisfactions. The woman at the well in John 4, she'd been trying to fill that hole in her life with the pleasure and the security of one man after another. But nothing had worked. That thirst that she had, it just remained there. And that's because anything else that people try to take in to satisfy their spiritual thirst, it's nothing but salt water. It doesn't get rid of the thirst at all. It actually makes the one who drinks it even more thirsty. But then in contrast to the salt water that's offered by the world, there's the living water offered by Jesus Christ. Water that is free. Water that does satisfy spiritual thirst, not just temporarily, but unto eternity. By speaking these words right at the end of the Feast of Booths, the Lord Jesus makes a very powerful point to the people. He teaches them that just as God provided their forefathers with physical water in the wilderness so many years ago, so he is the only one who can satisfy their spiritual thirst caused by sin, thirst that has alienated them from the living God. It's a beautiful invitation. And that same invitation extended by our Savior continues to be extended today as well. It's the invitation to go to Christ for the living waters. It's an invitation to the free gift of God's grace that alone can satisfy a person's spiritual thirst. We hear it each time in the proclamation of the gospel. We hear again the promise of the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. We hear again the assurance of peace and fellowship with the living God. And that same message is preached here, it's preached in our local community, it's preached in our country, it's preached around the world by missionaries. In fact, it's proclaimed by all believers as they live out their faith. They testify that there is a thirst that all people have, and it can only be quenched by Jesus Christ. However, while they proclaim that invitation, they must also include in their testimony that there is one condition for those living waters. Through the invitation that our Lord extended, the need for living waters became clear, as did the fact that these living waters are a free gift of God's grace. But that doesn't mean that one can just come to the Lord Jesus, drink from his well of spiritual waters, walk away satisfied, and that's all there is to the story. Now, Christ makes it clear in the words that we find in verse 38 that something else is required. In verse 38, he continues speaking, and he says, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. In the first words of that verse, you hear the condition for those living waters to have any benefit. The one who desires them, the one who drinks of them, they must believe in Jesus Christ. In fact, without faith, Without believing in Christ, no one will even come to those waters to drink from them. 
Without faith, there is no recognition that a person is thirsty. In order to know one's need for God and his free gift of grace in Jesus Christ, there has to be an acknowledgement of sin, the spiritual misery, the spiritual thirst that it causes. There must be a seeking for God. And when you put both those things together, that turning away from sin and that turning to God, then what you hear is the definition of true repentance that the Holy Spirit works in a person's heart. So there is a condition for the living waters, but that condition actually emphasizes the grace of God even further. For Christ does not say that people must earn their way to him, and then he will provide once they've proven themselves worthy. Nor does he say that their faith must be absolutely perfect, or that it must reach a certain level before those living waters will have effect. No, the Savior simply extends his invitation with the condition that those who want to drink of them, they must simply believe. And when there is even that beginning of true faith, then the results will show, as the Lord Jesus says. In the second half of verse 38, he says that out of the believer's heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, what's interesting here, congregation, is the fact that he includes those words as the Scripture has said. It's interesting because if you look throughout the entire Old Testament, you won't find a single verse that contains that exact quote spoken by Christ. But that doesn't mean he's made a mistake. Rather, what he's actually doing here is he's bringing a number of passages from the Old Testament together, from the Old prophets. Throughout the Old Testament scriptures, the Lord God many times speaks about water giving life to his people and how that water is going to have an effect going forward as well. There are the words of Isaiah 55 that we read earlier, proclaiming the gift of water as a free gift of grace. There are the words of Isaiah 12 verse 3, with joy you will draw from the wells of salvation. Jeremiah 17 verse 13, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be put to shame. Those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth, for they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. Finally, there's Zechariah 14, verse 8, where it speaks about living waters flowing from Jerusalem. All of these passages are speaking here about water, but never in that physical sense. No, they're speaking about it in the spiritual sense. And in all those prophecies, there's this constant pointing back to God as the source of those waters. And what Christ does here in our text is he brings all those passages together. And he says, in me they're fulfilled. The Lord Jesus makes it crystal clear to everyone listening there at the feast that in order to satisfy their spiritual thirst, they don't need to go looking here, there, or any, anywhere else. No, he's right there with them. All they need to do is believe in him. Turn to the Son of God who is the living water from heaven and so be satisfied. Drink deeply from the wells of salvation, the free gift of God's grace in Jesus Christ. And when you drink from Christ in faith, 
then it will have an effect on the believer. Jesus says that out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now that is strange to think about at first. When one drinks from the living water, then rivers of living water will flow from his heart. But what it means, brothers and sisters, is that one cannot drink from the wells of salvation without being impacted in a very strong way. Once again, we can point here to prophecies found in the Old Testament. In Isaiah 58, verse 11, there God says that his people, they will be like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. They will be thriving. They will be flourishing with their new life in Christ just pouring out of them. And here again, you hear the riches of God's grace coming out. Because in our text, it shows that his grace is not just given in small amounts, but that it is richly poured out. The text speaks about rivers, not creeks. It speaks about flowing, not trickling. When believers taste God's free gift of salvation, then it abundantly flows out of them. Their life is never the same. The way that they think and the way that they act are completely changed. This is also what comes out in Isaiah 55. There in verse 12 it says, For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. As believers go forward in that joy of salvation, having been satisfied with the grace of God, then they cause others, including creation, to break forth in song and joy as well. By saying that the rivers of living water will flow from the heart of the believer, Christ makes it clear that those who live, and those who walk by faith, they will have an impact on people around them. They won't be able to help it because God's grace given in abundance will be pouring out of them. Believers are a source of blessing to those around them. Just by their life, they witness about the grace of God and about the riches of their salvation in Jesus Christ. It's a rich treasure, one that cannot be contained inside, but that flows out in every way without exception. We come now to our third point. To this point, we've perhaps been using rather vague language. There were not a lot of specifics given. But that follows the order of the text to a degree. The Lord Jesus, when he's speaking to the crowd there at the feast, he didn't go into a big explanation of what he was trying to say either. Actually, he left his words as they were. But the inspired gospel writer, he does give us an explanation to work with. In verse 39, he explains that Jesus said this about the Spirit whom the believers were to receive. And note how that condition to the, for the living waters comes out in the explanation as well. 
The Spirit is not just given to all those people here on earth. He's given to those who believe in Jesus Christ. So in the life of the believer, the Spirit sent out by Christ, he continues flowing out, giving life to the believer, but also being a blessing to the others around. Again, this fulfills a prophecy that we find in Isaiah, this time Isaiah 44, verse 3. There God says, I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing upon your descendants. There again in that passage, you see that there's a connection between water and the Holy Spirit. Now John also notes that the Spirit had not yet been poured out at this time. And that raises questions about how exactly the Spirit was active during the time of the Old Testament. We know He was. He was active already back at creation, hovering over the waters. He was given in special measure to the elders of Israel, appointed by Moses, as we read in Numbers 11. There are other times throughout the Old Testament that we read about the Spirit's activity. So He was certainly active but his fullness was not yet poured out on the people of God until later. God said already with those words of Isaiah, he indicated that the Spirit would be poured out on the offspring of the people of the time. He was telling of a future event that was going to take place. And John in our text indicates when that time would come. For he writes that the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Before God would fully pour out His Spirit on believers, there was work that His Son, Jesus Christ, had to accomplish. He had to reach that stage where He was going to be glorified. He had to reach the stage where He would receive back the glory He laid aside in order to come to earth. We know that's exactly what happened with His ascension. But between the event of our text this morning and the glorification that Christ received as he was seated at the right hand of God, there was a crucial step here that had to take place. Before Christ could be glorified, he first had to die, suffering complete humiliation. Before Pentecost could be celebrated, Calvary had to be endured. Before the full blessing of the Holy Spirit could be poured out, sin had to be fully paid for with the shedding of Christ's blood. And now the words of our text start to make perfect sense. The Lord Jesus Christ, the one who has fully paid the price for sin, he openly extends his invitation to all. He invites all to believe in Him so that they might receive the forgiveness of their sins. Is what we confess as the universal proclamation of the gospel in the canons of Dort. But as part of believing in Him, united to Him by faith, then believers experience the blessing of God to the full. And that is through the Holy Spirit, poured out at Pentecost, and now dwelling in the hearts of believers, making them living members of Christ, imparting to them what they have in Christ, namely the cleansing from their sin and the daily renewal of their life, until they shall finally be presented without blemish among the assembly of God's elect and life eternal. And you know those words well, congregation. You hear them every time in the promise that the Holy Spirit makes at baptism. 
the Holy Spirit obtained for us by Christ and poured out upon the church. He is the one who makes believers effective, causing those rivers of living water to flow out from their heart. The Spirit makes the church effective in witnessing to the good news of the gospel, both through organized efforts and mission, and also through living our daily lives that testify to others that the gospel is powerful, that the gospel has an effect. As believers in the new covenant era, we have received the gift of the Holy Spirit in full. We aren't waiting for any more of him to be poured out. He is fully and he is actively working in the hearts of each one of God's children, causing that river of living water to flow and even to grow in depth. And he will continue to do his work until all God's people can once again drink from the crystal waters of the river of life that flows out from the throne of God and the Lamb, which we read about in Revelation 22. But in the meantime, as we work towards, as we look forward to that time filled with the fullness of life and restoration, there's the continued invitation of Revelation 22, verse 17. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. As we sojourn through the wilderness of this life, we know exactly where to turn to for the water of life. And that is the spiritual rock, Jesus Christ, who pours out the living water of his spirit to fill us and enrich us. Amen.